Hello and welcome to another episode of Mistress Bubble, your favorite bi-weekly now modern podcast. And with me, Francisco, I have probably the best ever podcast co-host to grace the earth. Yes, that's you guys. Nice. Evan and Spiderspace. How are you guys doing? I'm great. I feel better now. <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah, that intro nice just like picks me right. Let's go. Let's do this podcast. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. It's all about lifting each other up. And sure, we have a lot of things to lift ourselves up uh, with, with today's episode because uh, there's been a lot of stuff happening this past weeks in in modern. And uh, we, I honestly, personally, I cannot wait to 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 get started. So the very first thing that we wanted to talk about real quick is about probably one of the most exciting things to happen in. I, I want to say competitive magics, but I guess it's the opposite or the, the lack thereof, I guess, which was the trophy race between Aspiring Spike and uh, Principe, which ended last week. Spike, even though I was cheering for him, was not able to get there. It was pretty brutal. But um, one thing that I think was amazing is how everybody was engaged with this. So out of nothing, out of literal nothing, uh, it, it feels like the community was finally engaged in in something, and personally, it was the first time that I felt something about matches of magic. Like every time that Spike was just like three and zero, and he lost the a match right there, it was just so soul crushing. And you know, everybody was just eager for him to like go go back. You know, like let's let's do this. You know, like just being cheering for somebody um, for like multiple days in a row. He did like multiple twelve hour streams, and I was not the only one watching because he he was having like consistently like. 2,500, 3,000 viewers in those last couple of days. So clearly people care about this, right? Like all it, all it takes is you just need to make people care. And uh, it feels like they figured a way to make people care. So people cared and it was awesome. And it was probably like the some of the best content that has has gone out into, into the wild, uh, definitely in modern, you know, like reaching those numbers. And like those that that amount of people engaged um, while playing MTGO, like that is that is not not a small feat. That is not a small feat. How, how do you guys feel about the the whole trophy race uh, situation? It was exciting. Um, it it reminded me of like how excited I would get watching um, like Pro Tour coverage and whatnot you know, years ago. Um, I used to get really invested in that and watching players that I that I liked and seeing how far they, you know, what kind of deep runs they'd make and everything like that. And I haven't felt like I've been able to do that in quite a while. And, and this was, this kind of gave me a taste of that again. It was, it was really exciting. <laughs> totally. That, that's exactly what I thought of as well as like pro tours. And I feel like even the magic channel itself, you'd have pro tours that are like, nah, they're not, they're not going to get that, that amount of people now. And that, that's, that's saying something, um, especially because the actual prize of doing this, there, there's no prize on MTGO. You don't you don't get anything for being the trophy leader from them. You just you just go to Twitter and you're like, yeah, I'm the trophy leader, the clout. Um, and in this case, you know, Spike added a little bit of an incentive. It was originally just going to be for him. Uh, he was going to gift a bunch of subs to his own chat, but he ended up gifting them to to Principe. Um, I think he was going to do that. I think he said he was going to do that either if he won or lost. But 
I don't know, this kind of engagement and, and from within, it's really, really something special to see. I, I thought that was great. Yeah, no, it, it, what, what I like the most about this whole thing is how, I don't want to say effortless because it definitely was not effortless, but it was, it took somebody to have the idea, right? Like it took somebody to have the idea and to actually go ahead and execute it. And there's no budget whatsoever, right? Like it's not like Wizards, which has like this, I have no, I have no idea how much budget for their MPL streams and nobody cared. Nobody ever cared about any single MPL weekend that happened. And somehow people were caring about this, like they cared about this way more. And the stakes for the MPL were like upwards of tenth of thousands of dollars. So clearly it's not really a stakes thing as much as it is a figuring out a way to to have people excited and engaged about something which uh, they they definitely got it right this time around with so definitely props to 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 spike and and principe for for getting us uh, getting us all on the edge of our seats you know like i i was constantly you know on the on the edge of my seat just like looking and trying to figure out okay is he gonna make it like is he for a no like at one point one of them was for a no and then took a loss you know and it's just like oh wow this is crazy or like when he finally got like uh, one of the uh, i think a principe ended up with 44 trophies while um while spike had 42 so it was close until the very, very end. And when, uh, you know, Principe had the 43rd one and then he got the number 44, it was just soul crushing, you know, it was just soul crushing and it, it was just so heartfelt and it was exciting. It was amazing. And I hope that it happens again. I am pro- probably sure that it's not going to happen every single season for, you know, uh, you can only do that for so long before you start, you know, pulling, pulling off your own hair. If you, if you're not like me and you have any, uh, but, um, <laughs> But but yeah, it, it was definitely amazing, and here's here's to some more down the line in the near future. All right, having having talked about that, which we we thought it was cool, and you know we're a modern podcast, so we wanted to to cover the the modern excitement that happened lately. And uh, speaking of uh, modern excitement, we have uh, we have a new set, folks. We have a new set. We discussed the the new set. Uh, we talked about the cards that we liked for the new set, which ones we thought would be impactful in modern and whatnot. And it turns out that maybe they're more impactful than we initially thought, even, huh? Yeah, um, I, I think uh, the the obvious ones are that we we talked about initially are doing what they we thought they were going to do. Um, like consider, you know, that was that was a pretty straightforward one. We knew that was going to be impactful because it's just a card that already exists and sees play in modern but with an upgrade for a lot of decks and in opt uh faithful mending did in fact enable uh, a couple of strategies and that's been looking pretty promising more than just esper reanimator uh, we'll talk about it in a little bit but you know uh, just guy phoenix kind of came out of that as well um but there were a couple of other cards not not a ton but a, a few others that that seem to be making um some splashes as well I, I'm pretty happy with it. I, I, I feel like I know we're, you know, the set's not even technically out yet, but it's, you know, and it's like pre-out times in Magic Online. It really feels like this is a, um, a really appropriate amount of modern influence from a set, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Not broken, just kind of reinvigorated a couple of archetypes and it kind of brought a, a brand new archetype into existence. Uh, so... 
Spider, this is gonna be your spot right here. Um, if you if you're not aware of of this, Spider actually top aided the, ch the modern challenge on Saturday, and he did so uh, packing a full playset of faithful mendings uh, and playing Esper Reanimator and consider as well. Oh, playing consider as well, yeah. yeah. Uh, so can you tell us how you you know you worked on the list, how you tweaked it, what what did you like, what did you not like, how did you, did you end up in the in the list that you brought all the way to to the top eight? First of all, I want to say that this deck is a deck that <laughs> it's very easy to want to put your pet cards in Reanimator, uh, you, you, whether it's your favorite dumb creature or your favorite stupid discard enabler. Uh, you know, everyone is constantly, why not Collective Brutality? Why not Bone Shards? You, know, you could just throw a Worm Coil in there. The, the, the list is endless. And I tried to do the exact opposite of that. And not play those cards. <laughs> so I just took a list. Uh, basically, I tried to come up with something that had the most obvious includes. So, you know, obviously you're going to have four unmarked grave, four persist, four mending, four thought seize. Um, I felt like a lot of these things were pretty obvious. Um, and I, I felt like counterspell is one that people don't necessarily get right away. But when you think about the timing on faithful mending, I, I think that's a really big difference between it and Faithless Looting that kind of incentivizes you to hold some stuff up, to have some interaction, to do some other things with it. And so that was kind of the, the logic behind some of those cards in there. I will say this is maybe the best three-mana Teferi deck I think I've ever played. I don't mean in the sense that it's the most powerful necessarily, so much as it uses all parts of three-mana Teferi. So the bounce is super relevant as it normally would be, but also for any kind of hate card your opponent might have. The plus is super relevant because you can do things like, you know, draw step, thought seize your opponent, or instant speed, reanimate your Archon, which if you do that at their draw step, is pretty much like thought seizing them on their draw step. Um, you can do it to, to catch threats that might not otherwise be, you know, in play, whether that's a dashed Ragavan or someone activating a, uh, you know, a, a, a Celestial Colonnade or something. And then the I guess the weird things about my list are the one of main deck Sarah's Emissary. I know Aspiring uh, Spike has been talking about how you don't want to have that card. I liked having that as a one of just as a kind of like I win button. You know, sometimes you, you just play against something you're like, like Hammer, for instance, is probably the biggest one. It's just like, hey, go get this thing. You can't beat it. I win. You know, there are enough spots where I felt like that was coming up where I didn't mind in the main deck. I could really see a second on burial rights, maybe instead of that. Um, I think it kind of just depends. Everything else for the main deck I'm, I'm really happy with. I know uh, everyone's always seeing River of Tears and they go, why is River of Tears in your deck? And why is Zagath Triumph in your deck? And River of Tears is in the deck because it thought seizes on one, counters on two, and doesn't enter tapped on turn four. So some of the play patterns here are really important of just like, you know, being able to go turn four Grave plus Persist or Mending plus Persist is really a big deal. So tap lands are really bad in this deck. I cannot emphasize that enough. Do not play tap lands. They suck. Also, you get some life back from your Archons and your Mending. So a lot of a lot of fetches and shocks isn't too bad. But, you know, trying to minimize that a little bit with a couple of rivers. The Zagoth is just there as a, as a boost to Prismatic. Ending specifically for Leyline of the Void comes up. Uh, Omnath. Karn, these are cards that you want to get rid of, and it's a pretty low cost. It is the only tap land that I'm playing, and when it's fetchable, you can 
maneuver that spot pretty cleanly. I think it's it's not totally free, but I think it's pretty dang free. So that, that's why that's in there. The sideboard is something I'm less sure of. I feel like that has been kind of a work in progress, and it's it's been hard to figure that out. The meta really hasn't shifted too much other than being a little more graveyard-centric. So like I have some weird cards in there, like a one of Terracidon or one of Voidwinor. These are potential cards that are just like I win buttons against certain decks. So like Terracidon's really good against Tron. You just blow up their lands and they're done. The Void Winner is really for Cascade stuff, so you just, uh, they can't Cascade, they can't Brazen Borrower it, they can't Ice it, and you just really can't do anything to it. Uh, so that, that's why it's there. Uh, Leyline just made sense to me, Leyline of the Void, because if, you're want, if you want Graveyard Hate in a looting deck, why not play that one, right? It's free, it's most efficient in, in terms of quote-unquote casting, but then after that you can just loot away the extra copy, so it's not as bad as it might otherwise be in, in certain decks. Um, I liked the Flusters, just for Cascade stuff again. Chalice is kind of there for a similar reason. Um, you got some Fatal Pushes for those Turn 1 Monkeys Hammer stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm really happy with the deck as a whole. I think main deck, like 98% certain just to you know, that Sarah versus Unburial question, and then Sideboard does need a little bit of work, but it's been hard to, to figure out. I will say I, I, some of my process, I had most of the list there, uh, most of the main deck, I kind of talked with Evan here, and we, we helped, he helped me to kind of iron some stuff out of just like, hey, what do you think of that? What do you think of this? Um, particularly the mana base was <laughs> something that's kind of difficult to, to, to quite figure out, like the one of Mystic Gate kind of looks weird. Um, and I think that ended up being right over the blue-black one just because you can do stuff like play godless um, or planes on turn one and then still have the turn two mending or counter spell. Um, whereas with the other, um, the blue-black filter land, you can't have mending up. So kind of a lot of weird inner working things here. And I know a lot of people look at it and they go, ah, this is wrong, that's wrong. And they just instantly change it. And Actually, there's a lot of thought that has gone into those. So when you slam those dark slick shores instead, because your certain river of tears is wrong, uh, you, you might feel the, the the impact of that decision after playing some matches. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Um, well, that's that's very cool. What you guys uh, put together here. Um, <clears throat> as far as like the spell suite, I, I remember decks like this playing like Archmage's Charm, for example, in the past. Um, where has that gone? Is that like Faithful Mending just clean sweep? Uh, it was like a switch going from one to the other one. Um, you, you were talking about Unburial Rights. Uh, the, the first copy, obviously, it's incredible because of Unmarked Grave, but, you know, when or why would you consider to play more or, you know, cutting it all together? Sure. Uh, so that card in particular, Unburial, start with the last one, move backwards. Uh, Unburial is good in grindy matchups, mostly it also helps with consistency so that your entomb can also get your reanimate which is nice um so it's kind of corner case i actually considered a one of priest of fell rights for the a similar reason of like specifically against a deck that could counter it they're not going to be able to counter the the priest coming back since it's an ability which seemed nice but the reason I didn't play Priest was because it's just going to eat all your removal when otherwise it's going to be dead. So, like, they really don't have almost any prismatic ending targets, and it's just going to be slower and more awkward. That's why it wouldn't be there over um, Unburial. Uh, some of the card choices, I actually started out with Archmage's Charm, so it's funny you ask that, because that was version 1.0 had Archmage's Charm. 
And you kind of have to walk this line of like, okay, I want enough interaction and enough combo pieces. And the reason I'm really happy with my interaction suite of Thoughtseize, Prismatic Ending, Teferi, and Counterspell is that they pretty much cover everything. Like, there's very little that these cards can't interact with, even, you know, post-board, game one, whatever. Um, you know, Prismatic Ending hits turn one Ragavan just as it hits turn one Relic of Progenitus, right? Um, it answers Leyline of the Void, answers three minutes for it. just, it hits everything. Thoughtseize likewise hits everything. Counterspell hits everything. Um, also nice thing about Thoughtseize, it comes up very occasionally where you get to like Thoughtseize yourself turn one and then just Archon turn two, which is, it's, it's, it's great. It's uh, just clean magic. <laughs> um, a lot of people have asked me why I'm not playing Spike's, Spike's initial list had, had Chalice of the Void and he had, uh, gifts ungiven. I, I've really felt like you don't really need Chalice. I feel like most of the matchups where I kind of want that, I just don't really need it. Like Hammer feels like a pretty good matchup in my opinion, um, especially with the main deck Sarah. Um, Cascade's a little bit different, you know, Chalice on zero, losing that is a real cost, but I feel like these one drop cards are really important of just having that extra consistency in a timely fashion and also just Thought Seize's utility is huge. So I, I, I don't really like the chalices. I also don't really like the gifts ungiven um, on sort of the similar vein of like that card's great for consistency because you could just like bin, you know, fatty plus unburial or you could do like weird utility packages. You'd have to have like a snapcaster and I don't know. It, it just feels very cutesy to me. It's very slow um, to do all that when you know, as it is, you're very likely to already have the Archon in the bin for whatever it is, and then you just, like, top deck the one of Unburial, you pay six mana, get the thing that turn, whereas this is, like, okay, you have to have eight mana to do it. Um, you might be able to do, like, a little more draw go stuff with Gifts if you also played Archmages and, like, Force. I think Force is pretty off-plan. I'd only really play that in the board. Charm could be on-plan, but the mana's already difficult, right? Like, we're already going turn one, you need all three colors, turn two, you need blue, blue, turn four, you want black, black a lot of the time. So I don't know. It ultimately just felt like it was the card that was most kind of off plan. I think if it was like, I don't know, uh, I thought counterspell on two is a big deal. And I feel like that's the slot that charm is going to end up fighting with because it's interaction. So even though it does draw it being that bit more inefficient and harder on the mana was kind of why I moved away from it. What are, what are the decks that you're excited to play against? Where are the decks that you feel like can be, you know, problematic? And uh, with uh, we're going to be talking about that uh, a little bit more later, where uh, it seems like Graveyard decks uh, kind of rose up to dominance again. So in a situation like this, where everybody is going to start, you know, packing more hate, uh, how do you see a deck like this positioned, uh, positioned and even not so much that, but as to how do you see it adapting to, to to this new wave of, you know, people actually not forgetting about their graveyard hate. The surprising thing about this deck is that it's actually pretty resilient, in my opinion. And that's because of the interaction suite, that they can just answer any and everything. So that's to say permanent-based graveyard hate is maybe not as good as you want it to be. It's going to be hard for this deck if you have pressure plus multiple pieces of Graveyard 8. So like if you went like turn one Ragavan, turn two Soul Guide, Soul Guide or something, right? Like 
that could be pretty problematic of like, I now need to answer all three things. So you're taxing those prismatic endings. A way you might be able to interact with that on my side is just like having more cards like EE, which would just answer all of that at once. Um, as far as non-permanent base, which I think is going to be better, uh, Surgical's pretty good against this deck. You can kind of play around it and it it's really weird. Like you have to do some weird sequencing and like, you know, don't just go straight for the uh, unburial. Maybe you wait to do that. Maybe you like Thoughtseize first, make sure you have your Teferi down. I know I've done that with Teferi specifically against the card Endurance, which is a permanent, but kind of acts like a non-permanent in terms of how it interacts with the graveyard, right? Um, just because it's zero mana if they have a green card at any time. That one can be a little tough just because it, it also pressures you. But again, like, you know, you just like thought sees them or, or Teferi. So I, I don't know. I, I'm really happy with this deck. I think it's it's super resilient. Um, if people start just jamming all the graveyard stuff, I guess I would look into more cheap answers in the sideboard since that's kind of like not, I'm not totally sure where I want to be with that. Um, if people are just going to use surgical to try to punk you, I'm not sure what the best answer to that would be. Maybe you like need some other fatty and it kind of just depends on the matchup. So like I know Spike's Phoenix deck and we'll talk about this in a minute. That deck's playing a bunch of surgicals. Um, but like Sarah's emissary is really good against them. So if I was playing against them, I might actually prioritize getting Sarah so that they're forced to surgical the thing that I'm only playing one of. So you, th there's a lot to think about when you're like, how do you beat the hate? And sometimes you just don't beat the hate. Like that's something you're just going to have to accept. Like, <laughs> if your opponent is just jamming four surgicals in their blue red Murktide deck, you might just lose, right? That comes with any, that comes with the territory. If you're playing a deck that's leaning super hard into one axis, if that axis is attacked, you're, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah. Um, I will say though, that even these decks that you would think would really be a nightmare matchup. Like I, I played against uh, Kirby Vore and the challenge, and I, I beat them. And for those of you who don't know, Kirby Vore has been playing this like kind of creature-centric version of, of blue-white control. And I actually was really surprised, because I, I beat them, and you know I'm, I, that means I'm fighting through counterspells, I'm fighting through pressure from their mid-rangey you know, draw card threats, and I'm also fighting through solitude. You know, so it's just like solitude, counter, pressure, rest in peace. It's a lot. It's a lot to fight through. And I was really surprised at just like, doesn't matter. It's fine. You're fine. So I'm, I'm not actually sure what the nightmare matchup is. I, I, I feel like the deck seems to have pretty well-rounded matchups right now. Uh, you can certainly get out ahead of it sometimes. Like sometimes your draws just don't line up. Well, I know I, I lost an Asif in the top eight, or sorry, not the top eight. It was, uh, I think it was the round before, the second round before the top eight. And I might've overboarded against him, but he ended up just like playing out living in threats, just hard cast, just like, here's a 2-2, two, two, here's a 3-3, three, three, and he beat me to death with them. Um, and sometimes you're just going to draw, like, two or three Archons, and you don't have a Mending. And That's what I was going to say. It, it feels like a deck that, because um, I've, I've played a little bit of it, you know, as well, and it feels like um, one of its, like, biggest enemies is itself, that sometimes, it, you know, it, it does need things to line up, and you do need to draw some things in a certain order and there's certain you know you, you by the nature of the deck you do have dead draws like you said in archons and angel and whatnot and you know they're only dead until you draw a mending but if you never draw that mending I, I i've had some really brutal matches where i'll just end up with three archons in my hand there were none in my opener and i just never find that mending 
you're gonna lose that game of magic you know it doesn't matter what yeah. the opponent's doing um whereas, whereas you know it's not it's not just like a deck that's a pile of good stuff it, there is some things that have to happen um sure but but yeah it doesn't net it do, really didn't feel like there was any like truly scary matchup you know it felt like it felt like a deck that has game against pretty much everyone yeah i think it, it might have been your stream evan where we were co-piloting and we got the 5-0 i think it was against black red like spike's old black red deck that had you know all the turn one threats discard spells main deck uh dothy Voidwalker. i thought we were going to get obliterated and we ended up winning it yeah yeah, yeah you were like this is a nightmare match and we were like no problem just won <laughs> we just won it <laughs> like yeah we just we just fought through and they had i mean they had like a million void walkers too it's not like they never found them like they had all these pieces in the deck was just able to chug through it all yeah um, so it really impressed me people don't really think this is a real thing but you really do cast your stuff it it happens <laughs> and happens. oh the hard cast threats yeah yeah yeah, yeah like that i against Kirby that happened multiple times it was like I had cheated out I had like a persist plus or sorry a uh, grave plus unburial line to get out Archon and then they went and Teferi bounced it and I just went land recast Arc I just hard cast and tap all your mana here's the Archon and it was like well I win like there it is <laughs> yeah it's, it's it's pretty funny about the way that it works like every Archon that you you play not only you're forcing your opponent to answer it but even if they answer it every archon is getting you closer to your next archon so like be it with you know either more persists and more ways to to assemble your combo again or just lands and <laughs> once you get to eight here we go yeah, i know that's a thing with this deck that people keep telling me they want to cut lands i know i think i saw i want to say it was caleb durwood was streaming little reanimator fairly different list but he was on like 21 lands and i'll see a lot of like 22 lands and i'm, I'm playing 23 and, that, and i'm playing it even with the four cantrips because i think making your land drops is really important in this deck like you really really want four lands on turn four and having six mana for the like unburial plus um or sorry the grave plus unburial lines comes up a lot and hard casting your stuff comes up a lot so you know mana yeah sure you can flood but you also do have the four mendings to help clean some of these awkward things up and you have the extra four cantrips like i don't know. i think this deck's really good i think this is a real contender uh i wouldn't count it out even even when people are playing like main deck rips or main deck uh you know whatever it is relic of progenitus i'm just not that scared like all of my stuff main deck still answers hate pieces even if you're main decking them yeah for sure um, so I guess it's it's one of the you know good side effects of having a podcast with me. You just end up putting more lands into your deck. It's, it's pretty it's pretty magic how, the, how it's, it's it's a beautiful thing. It's a truly beautiful thing. Um, all right, sweet. So moving on to the, I guess the new guy around the block, and this is kind of like a flash a flash from the past kind of deal. It is uh, Spike bringing uh, Jeskai Phoenix, Jeskai Phoenix, uh, which is um, you know. Back in for Arc Like Phoenix and for Demilich, Demilich, uh, which is the I guess the only card that could potentially see play from <laughs> from the D and D set, which <laughs> yeah. didn't didn't have too much of an impact. But well, here it is, the Demilich um, as another free threat, and that's it. Like these are all the threats that this deck is playing, and the rest of the deck is just seventeen lands. You know, Spike doesn't have a podcast with me, so he only plays seventeen lands in his deck. <laughs> 
And then a bunch of interaction with a prismatic ending, gutshot, lightning bolt, and then everything else is just enablers and cantrips. So we have four serum visions, four consider, four faithful mending. Uh, again, these are, these are the, the brand new ones, consider and faithful mending. Four faithless salvaging. This is the one in a red instant. Uh, it's, it's, um, it says discard the card, then draw a card, and then it has a rebound. So this card actually, I, I, I've seen him do a lot of cool plays where you can, you know, do stuff like end step, uh, or if your opponent's end step, you discard a phoenix and then you untap and then you discard, uh, you know, you, you you cast it for free and it counts as your first spell towards either getting back your phoenixes or making your damage cheaper. Um, also, the way that this card is worded is pretty funky. Usually, uh, cards like this that we've seen in the past, they require you to discard, discard the card in order to draw the card. Uh, like, for example, uh, Cathartic Reunion, right? Uh, this one is not worded like that. So if you have zero cards in hand and this is your last card, then you just draw a card. Like, that's just what it is. You just spend two mana to draw a card. Same thing if you um, if you do the stuff in upkeep, for example. Like, if you have instance in your hand and you have this coming off uh, of the rebound, then you put this card on the stack and then, you know, you cast your bolt or whatever it is, like your thought scour or, or, or whatever it is, and then you get that out of your hand, and that, again, is another spell that counts towards your phoenix. So uh, this deck really feels like it has a ton of play to it, like your sequencing matters a lot. You also need to know what your possibilities are at all times, because you're playing a deck with Metamorphose. So very often, like, because you're playing three colors, it's not as easy, you know, with, with Blue Red Storm, you're usually just making blue and red, or at most you're just making, like, blue, blue, or, you know, something like that. But here, you you need to make sure that you're planning in, in advance and that you know what your outs are. So if you want to bring back a, 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 a Phoenix or, or whatever, and you're casting your Metamorphose to get the turn started, which is very often what you have to do, you need to know, okay, so I have, like, four Considers, four Serum Visions, four Thought Scours that I can draw towards, um, and I need to draw into one of those, and then I need that one to draw me into like a bolt or something so I'm gonna make like blue red or I need to draw into a mending in order to get this this whole thing together so I'm gonna make like white red you know like all, all that kind of stuff really matters a lot um, another important thing about uh, Demolage in particular is that it doesn't require you unlike Phoenix which is you either get the three spells or you get nothing Demolage doesn't do that. It just gets its, its cost reduced, so very often you can just, you know, play two spells and just play two blue mana, and you have your, your damage in play, which is pretty cool. And it's, you know, one, probably one of the reasons why this card is actually playable. <laughs> you know, the fact that it doesn't really force you to to do all this thing. And then there's the, the fact that you can, you know, cast it and recast it and recast it all the time. So um, this deck has felt pretty cool. Uh, have you guys tried this out? Uh, personally or i haven't tried it yet but it's it's really high on my list to try um i've watched a bit of it and it has been impressive and i think it also kind of caught people by surprise uh, a lot of people um you know spike included uh assumed that a two mana looting was not what this deck needed um that it was really important that looting was one mana and this really wasn't going to be that much of a um of an enabler for the deck, um, and it just pleasantly surprised how, how you know how powerful it actually felt. 
which is cool. I, I, I love Phoenix. I'm like, a, I'm really into Phoenix as a deck in general. Um, I haven't played too much around with uh, Demi Lich in Modern yet, but I've played with it quite a bit in Historic. I've been playing like Phoenix over there. Um, and these decks actually look kind of similar. But I'm, I'm excited to try it. I, I, like I said, I've, I've been watching it a decent amount. It seems like it has some really powerful, powerful turns, especially like its turn threes can look insane. I've seen some wild board states um, pretty quickly and looks good. Yeah, I, I tried a version of this before Mending was out. It was it was okay. Um, I'm, I think I'm one of the people that this deck is surprising. I, I guess I just thought, oh, we already have like, you know, is that charm and a billion other loot things, but you know, it, it having flashback is a, is a big deal. I, I think that's really the, the key piece. And the fact that it also like everyone saw the gain to 11 was like, yeah, whatever, but it matters that those you know, like four life off of this card. If you're playing both halves can buy enough time to, to make a difference. And yeah, I mean, turn three, you're putting, I think it's usually somewhere between 4 to 12 power in play, and if you're putting 12 power in play on turn 3, especially if one of them is a Demi-Lich that's going to now cast another spell, it's, it's pretty good. You know, the, the deck is resilient to most removal, and it's kind of hard to interact with. It's reasonably quick, so yeah, it, it's not surprising to me that it did well. I, I, I do think it's going to be a little more polarized in its matchups. You know, they're, they're just going to be stuff where you're trying to do that and you know maybe your opponent's on like belcher and you just can't interact with them you're just, just going to die right you don't you don't have counter spells you don't have really any way of interacting with a deck like that so likewise i i don't know maybe maybe, maybe i'm wrong in thinking like tron seems like a bad matchup maybe it's not maybe you just can put enough pressure quickly enough and it doesn't matter but yeah super cool deck really weird to see phoenix back again in modern after it's been gone for so long yeah, uh, and this is a much more acceptable power level than the <laughs> the Phoenix that we had back in the day, which was kind of insane, I think. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, and this is again like this is a list that uh, Spike arrived at after doing a bunch of testing. So it's really funny because like everybody comes and they they go to the, to his stream and they're like, why don't you just jam Merc Tide Regent in there? Why don't you play DRC in there? Like all of these cards, and it's like. Yeah, you know, like he he's been testing, and this is what he considers to be the best way to to build this deck at least right now. So um, it is. It, there are many ways that you can you can um, kind of pivot and change in your deck building a, a deck like this because there are so many moving pieces, and you know we we have access to a lot of very powerful cards in the modern card pool. So uh, what this deck is doing is abusing the fact that you want to be playing cantrips anyway in a in a more extreme way i guess because uh, we do have and right now one of the i think the actual only trophy leader right now is the, the pensworth who has been playing mostly um mostly blue red uh, murktide like but more of a blue moon style shell and he says that consider is actually insane in that deck um, because it gives you the card selection and it sort of helps you enable um, your your Merktides. So whenever you have, you know, those those kind of decks are already abusing the fact that you want to be playing a bunch of cantrips anyway. Uh, but this one takes it to the extreme where we are, you know, really getting value from discarding our cards and, and, and stuff like that. So... 
Um, I think that I understand the idea of, you know, just not wanting to, you know, every, every merc type that you throw in there, that is just, uh, that is just getting in the, in the way of your own engine. So I, I do understand the, the wish to kind of keep it as clean as possible and kind of take it from there. But yeah, so, I mean, we can, we can keep talking about, uh, which is what, what I wanted to do right now. You know, blue red Merc type, blue moon has been has been popping up again and has been uh, doing very well in the in the hands of Jacob uh, Kamiski, and uh, he's been he just says that you know consider was sort of the missing piece, and uh, it doesn't surprise me at all. Like this is a deck that uh, you know really cared about finding the correct pieces in the correct times, and you're kind of for free enabling your win condition now which also seems like a big deal uh so evan you you've been playing a little bit of this deck how how do you feel like it like it's positioned right now i like it a lot um it, it's super high in my like decks to continue playing and, and keep playing around with um consider is definitely an upgrade you know it, it was just opt in this slot previously um and now it's just a higher power level opt now now you're getting to um you know bin spells that you may not need in that exact moment but they're you know it's not just murktide it's a four of snapcaster mage deck um and when you're getting to bin something relevant for a snapcaster mage you have and then draw something else it's almost like considers drawing you two cards um which is which is pretty wild that's that's not something opt was able to do in the past but uh yeah the deck the deck feels really good i, I like the way he builds it there's a couple of interesting pieces uh that he he's like kind of bouncing around that i'm also kind of trying to figure out you know is there's like prismari commands some number between like two and four depending on the the list that's a, a response to hammer um respecting hammer is is a pretty tricky matchup for the deck and that card being decent against it i i'm not 100 percent sold on it but just because it's three mana it is a very expensive spell but it can get some nice two for ones with it and uh and also a lot of Brazen Borrowers, which is also pretty good in that matchup. But it's also good against opposing Murktides. Um, I, I think he's done a pretty good job at, at tuning the deck to be ready for um, the type of stuff that, that you are seeing in the meta. Um, yeah, it's it, it's felt nice. It's felt really nice. A lot of, lot of like, Fire and Ices. Uh, just all kinds of sweet spells. It's right up my alley. It is a it is a really cool deck. And, and it's you know in one more point, it's not playing around with like the um, the Planeswalker win pack win con packages anymore. You know, you're not messing around with Jace anymore. It's just respecting that like Jace is just not where you want to be right now. That card just gets killed by everything, and it's it's so much mana. You you're just playing the good win cons now in in Merktide. You know you've got your bolt snap bolt plan, and the brazen borrowers are are kind of filling a, a dual purpose. You know, answering a thing, but also just being like Vendillion Click, your three-one flash flying beater. The deck's like pretty good at closing out games now. Yeah, that's exactly what I was gonna say. Like the, those planeswalkers have always been kind of like, in, in a way, the downfall of that deck is that they always had like this super clunky win condition that you you really struggle a lot to find a window to resolve, uh, but you really can't win the game until you resolve it, or you, you can't really start winning the game. And now instead of needing to, to you know, to tap out for a Jace or something, you just only spend two mana, play a Murktide, that's a 7-7 seven, seven and holding up counter magic. Your go. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's such a different story. It is. Uh, then Murktide just attacks two or three times and the game is, is, is immediately over. So it feels like Murktide just 
that's exactly what this deck was always missing in order to compete and be be a consistent part of the of the meta game. Yeah, Blue Moon was the reason I was so excited for Murktide during spoiler season. The, this was this was the home I wanted it for. I, you know, I I didn't have the the DRC monkey. You know, the the Murktide that is the more prominent one in the meta. Um, that's not what I was thinking when when I was all excited for this card. It was like, oh man, I can slap this in Blue Moon. <laughs> uh, this is this is the new thing in the ice. Like this card's insane. <laughs> So, yeah, very very excited to see he's doing well with it, and um, it's definitely a deck I'm I'm very likely to be like defaulting to, you know, going forward. The other angle of that that control decks are attacking the metagame with has been this uh, the Waffle Shell, like the Waffle Tapa Chalice control deck. Uh, it kind of feels like it's everywhere right now. Uh, maybe maybe Waffle has finally cracked the code on how to how to build this this control decks just like straight up blue white. In, in, in this metagame that, that we see right now in, in Modern, and we actually have a new card here that is, is showing up every now and then as well. In fact, two cards that are showing up. The big one and the most important one is Memory Deluge. We actually, um, I think we talked about this one a little bit on the previous episode, uh, which is two blue blue, it's an instant, and it says, look at the top X cards of your library, where X is the amount of mana spent to cast a spell, put two of them into your hand, and the rest in the bottom of your library in a random order, and then it has flashback for five blue blue, so that's seven mana. Card is awesome. So this is a way that, um, yeah, this is like a replacement for the factor fiction. You know, like a way that this kind of control decks have to to recoup that card advantage. Um, and the good thing is that unlike something like a Jace, which requires you to do this on your own turn, what you can do is, you know, what factor fiction always was so good at doing, which is doing a doing it on your opponent's end step, which allows you to hold up your interaction during your opponent's turn. If they do something, you just counter whatever they do. If they don't, you just draw and you uh, you, you recoup that card advantage and you can keep your, your engine going. I'll be honest, I can't believe they put this card at instant speed. You know, the, the last time we got an effect like this was um, Drawn from Dreams, uh, which is like the, you know, basically dig through time, but four mana and sorcery speed. I was shocked to see this was incident. Uh, and it's definitely... I think in a good amount of the control, like we're seeing blue white being the, like the the prominent control strategy, and I think in those lists, it totally does just replace factor fiction if they were playing factor fiction before. That flashback's really nice on it. Uh, you're usually getting two cards, maybe three at a factor fiction, right? So it's about the same. I do think, for example, in in my particular Blue Moon list, I'm running a Factor Fiction still, and I think it's going to stay a Factor Fiction. I think when you are playing cards like Murktide and Snapcaster Mage and things that do care about the cards that also hit the graveyard, there is still a reason to play Foff. There are some lists that are still going to want to play Foff, but um, in these blue-white lists that just do not care about their graveyard at all, other than this card, I, I think it's a I think it's a, a pretty meaningful upgrade. Yeah, I mean, also these are 26 land control decks, right? Like the, the Murktide decks tend to be playing like 23, 24 lands at most. They are like a little bit more lean and, um, you know, they, they just try to play more one mana cantrips. While this deck, because it cannot play cantrips because it is Chalice of the Void deck. Uh, so it, it needs to be playing more lands because it really needs to hit its land drops. And, you know, it just 
kind of works beautifully into that. You know, you have more lands, well, now you draw memory deluge, and then you have the whole thing of, you know, memory deluge finding you another memory deluge, and then you have the flashback from both. Um, th this card is, has been really, really, really good. Like, every time, every time I played against it, I've been kind of freaking out a little bit. <laughs> if I'm being I've been playing a little bit of standard, and uh, having moments where <laughs> I I've had, like, uh, my opponents have some cards in hand, and if you know like how arena works, when you have things uh, like known information or or things that are like in your graveyard that have abilities of flashback or whatever, it kind of represents them in their hand. And I've had like moments where I'm being against a control opponent, and they'll have like a full grip, and then also three memory deluges <laughs> all lit up in their hand, and it's just like I'm never beating this card <laughs> like, in their hands full because they cast all those memory deluges. Um, the cards looked really impressive there, and I, I think it is going to be a, a very significant form of card advantage um, in Modern as well. It, it, it feels like it's going to be really powerful. Yeah, this one definitely feels like it's uh, it's here to stay sort of deal. Um, like I, I was I was not expecting this card to be as impactful as it ended up being, but it turns out that. Uh, particularly in a deck like this, like as you were saying, whenever you're doing graveyard stuff, maybe factor fiction can be better. But whenever you're not, I mean, if you ever get to flashback this thing, that's that's just free value. And if that resolves, you're you're just not losing. Like you're just never losing. Whatever it is that you're missing, like that that verdict that you were missing or whatever it is. Um, also, I saw Spike trying this out in uh, reclamation decks, which seems nuts. Absolutely nuts. I, I, I think Reclamation is, is one of those cards that could see a resurgence and, you know, it just kind of fell off, but maybe didn't have a great reason to fall off. I, so I you know, I was excited to see him playing around with that strategy again. And yeah, I definitely think this deck looks, or this card looks awesome in that deck. Yeah, seems really good there. I haven't played with or against this yet. I will say, you know, I was losing when people went EOT off. And I will still be losing when they go EOT memory deluge. <laughs> um, I don't know. A lot of the time, it seems like the front half is like pretty close. Um, but it having that just flashback for free if the game does go longer, which you're trying to make it go longer, is it's gross. Like if it's a control mirror and you have to spend a, a counter spell on the back half, like that, that seems awful. And if you don't, you're probably just lost so i just can't believe they made this an instant i really didn't think they would put this effect as an instant through standard again it, it, i'm glad they did <laughs> it wouldn't have been playable if they didn't <laughs> but but uh yeah very cool card yeah for sure then we the, the other card that has kind of shown up is sort of an unexpected one but i think it makes sense and this is Outland Liberator, which is a card that we actually had to read before. <laughs> when I said the name to the guys where we were we were talking about what we were going to be discussing the episode, like I actually had to read this one to them. And it's a pretty sweet one. Uh, it's one and a green for a 2-2 human werewolf. You pay one and you sacrifice this and you destroy target artifact or enchantment. And then it has the, the new daybound uh, mechanic. So whenever it flips, you get a 3-3 werewolf. And then it it um, it keeps this the sacrifice uh, to destroy an artifact or enchantment clause, but it also becomes a trigon predator. So if you attack with this thing, then you can uh, you, you just destroy something, some artifact or enchantment that they have. So pretty pretty sweet. Um, seems particularly impactful in a deck like Yawkmoth. That's where it's seen most play. Uh, 
because you're a Court of Colony deck, so you can, uh, unlike the the mechanic that we saw in the past, right? Like, unlike the previous edition of the Werewolf mechanic, which, you know, you want to flip your Werewolf, okay? So you have your Werewolf in play, and then you, you know, you pass the turn, and your opponent plays an instant on your end step, and boom, like, they counter your flip, you know? Uh, that actually doesn't work. Uh, in, in this new iteration of the mechanic, only the spells that you play on your turn matter. So if you want to flip this thing, you will flip it. There's nothing that your opponent can do about it. I mean, I guess they can kill it or whatever, but... Um, but yes, like, if you want to flip this thing, you can actually just pass a turn, and this will flip, and if you have a Code of Calling, sweet, you still get to play your spell, and you just do it on your opponent's turn, and you now have a 3-3 Trigon Predator that's going to be beating them down. So, uh, pretty cool there. Uh, I've also been seeing this uh, cast in Humans. Humans also has another version of this effect, I guess. It's one and a white, and it's a 3-1 that has Flash, and it has the same clause. You pay one mana, and you destroy target that if active on enchantment. Uh, one mana sacrifices, sorry. So, this sort of effect showing up um, more just over and over again, just like almost evergreen at this point. But these ones are actually very, very strong. Yeah, I think they're both kind of comparable to Kazali Pride Mage. Or is it Pride Mage or Pride Mage? I think it, yeah. Anyway. Mage, uh, I think Pride Mage. Yeah. That's the the one that this, both of these kind of reminded me of, um, the white one in particular. But the white one being just one color, I think matters a lot. I know a lot of the Texas community was pretty excited about this one. Finally, there's... uh, you know, you can have an answer to Torpor Orb that is not Disenchant, right? Uh, so then that that's that's a big deal for those decks. Yeah, no, and that's that's why that's when I noticed this card is uh, when talking about Amulet. Amulet actually cares about Torpor Orb a lot, and this is a way that you can just pact for this guy, and you play it, and then you sack it, and like if your opponent has a Torpor Orb in play. Bad luck, <laughs> doesn't matter, or you're now dead. Uh, so, in that sense, it seems, it seems like it's not like a strict upgrade over something like you know we had Rex Sage and then we had Foundation Breaker, and realistically speaking, Foundation Breaker is just a strict upgrade over Rex Sage, right? Like because it gives you the flexibility, and if you if you're in a situation where you really care about the body, you can very often just pay the extra mana. Um, and if you don't care about the body, you just have the effect for one mana cheaper. So obviously it's just a lot better. This one is not necessarily better, but it's a little bit different. So it kind of gives us uh, summoners packed uh, casters. Um, it gives us like a little bit of more, uh, you know, wiggling room to kind of like move things around if uh, metagames shift. Like for example, remember like a couple of... Uh, maybe like a month or two ago when Elemental was, was all the rage and people were playing like two or three copies of Torpor in the sideboard. Then if we had had access to this guy, that would have been awesome. Now if that happens again, we have access to this guy. So it's one of those cards to, you know, keep in, in the back of your mind uh, whenever you are, you, you're, you're building your deck to play in this weekend's uh, event and for whatever reason you choose to play Amulet. Uh, <laughs> uh, but... Yeah, you, you actually have that, that option now, which I think it's it's very, very cool. You saying that, uh, the white one being a 3-1, and you're like talking about pacting for it. I was like, oh, or Imperial Recruiter, and then I'm like, oh, nope. 
can't do that. that that's that's a real dagger. That that matters a stupid amount. Got the wrong recruiter. <laughs> really did though. Oh man. Poor Flicker. Was. I imagine that that was per- in purpose though, right? That that has to have been on purpose. They can't have people recruiting up Flicker Wisp. Uh, I don't think it's about recruiting up Flicker Wisp. I think it's about recruiting up like solitude and you know all of the uh incarnations can be hit by the white recruiter or a lot of them can uh but not the red one so grief and solitude namely all right uh, last card that has seen an, an a significant uptick and then we can talk about the archetype that has seen a significant uptick but obsidian charmel remember this guy nope people are <laughs> people are playing this guy now can you believe that I mean, they kind of are it's interesting. It's 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 a it's a cool piece of like land hate. It lets you lets you blow up a land. <laughs> uh, we were talking about this a little bit earlier. Um, I I'm still iffy on the card. Uh, my my concern being that if you're on the draw, it's like a turn too slow for the biggest matchup that you wanted for, which is Tron. But uh, but I've seen it do some pretty gross things, and you know it's not just blowing up land. It's also presenting a, a pretty large threat. Uh, at the same time, which is pretty cool. It's like it's like a four four, right? It's a four four flyer, yeah. And and that is usually the big deal, like against decks like Tron or Amulet. Like, sure, you can blow up their land with a Fulminator or whatever, but that they're gonna get going again eventually, right? So if you're not clocking them, then you're just gonna die anyways. Like your Fulminator is gonna buy you a little bit of time, but it's not gonna just win the game for you. I really, I really want to like this card, man. Like I feel like it, I feel like it's so close, but it, it just, I, I feel like it is a turn too slow for what, it, for what it's doing. Yeah, well, so the places where it's seen play is mostly in the sideboard of Rhinos decks. That is like the the tier one deck that is actually has actually adopted the, this piece of te- technology, and I think that it kind of makes sense there uh, because like you can't really play any other sort of hate against Tron that you know that you would be be able to play on time because you know, you, you you can't <laughs> you just uh, because of of the cascade mechanic you need all your stuff to be like three CMC or higher so that's why in the past we've seen this deck playing uh, Blood Moon. Now, they, I, I did play a little bit of Rhinos myself, and Bloodwood kind of sucked in that deck. It, it wasn't, it just wasn't really a great Blood Moon deck, because, like, you needed, you needed, like, your, 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 all your colors of mana very, very often, and you can't really afford, because your mana requirements are so steep, you need to be fetching duels. So very often you will find yourself in a situation where, like, you're slamming a Blood Moon, but you have, like, an island and two mountains. So now you just locked ourselves out of green, or you know, or you locked ourselves out of blue, or something like that. And like, sure, if you cast the card against Amulet, that's fine, right? Like, you, you, that's gonna buy you a lot of time. But if you cast that card against Tron, they're gonna be like, sure, dude, whatever. Here's a Con Liberator, you know, a, a, con, a great creator, and now you have to deal with this. So it it makes things a lot more awkward that way. This guy doesn't really care, and now the Rhinos player can just fetch duels uh, to their heart's content and just like slam this guy and actually clock your op- their opponent. So I imagine that this this guy makes a lot more sense in decks that can do something on turn two, so I imagine the Rhinos player can, you know, if the opponent plays a Worm Coil, they can like bounce the Worm Coil with a Borrower or like force a current Liberated and then untap and then play this Charmo 
and you know just have a 4-4 in play that's ready to block their opponent while at the same time delaying their opponent's uh, their opponent's mana so I feel like it does make sense in decks like this, and it does make sense in other decks like Ponza, where you have a bunch of creatures, right? So even if you're on the draw, you can go turn one Mana Dork, turn two Charmo anyway. That's like the one deck that didn't really need it, though, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes and no, though, because like it's so much better to have a, a Pillage stapled onto a 4-4. Yeah, the fact you're doing your main game plan and also putting a 4-4 into play is is pretty cool. No, I agree. I just don't know that if I'm a Ponza player, I want to spend any amount of sideboard, <laughs> sideboard slots side. on Tron. Yeah, that's true. That's fair. But maybe you want to spend some main deck slots. In, <laughs> oh, in okay. All right. yeah. I don't know if this is a main deck card. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> hey, if they don't have, if it's a deck that doesn't have any colorless producing land, five mana four four that blows up a land, maybe, <laughs> maybe in Ponza. It's not that bad of a deal. They they played they played some pretty bad cards in Ponza before. I can see <laughs> this being fine. <laughs> you play it fast with a Utopia Sprawl and an Arbor. I don't know. You could just play a Fury, but sure, play play a Charm nah, nah, instead. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> Fury doesn't have flying. <laughs> yeah, also it's kind of like a signature of Ponza deck to play bad cards. That's what I'm saying. Right? Like yeah. it's it's like what the it's what what the deck needs to do in order to be itself. You know what I'm All saying? Right. All right. <laughs> it's funny you were talking about Rhinos versus Tron because we didn't see either of these decks actually at all in those challenges, and I haven't really been seeing either of them in leagues either, which is weird because I feel like they both should be good. I also haven't really been seeing, like, I know Elementals won Saturday's Challenge, but I'm not really seeing it otherwise. I'm also not really seeing a lot of Hammer otherwise. Or actually, Hammer wasn't in either challenge. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm seeing Hammer in Leagues, but it, it didn't top 8 either challenge, which is really surprising to me. That's the one that's most surprising, because that, I don't, I don't think anything that happened with Innistrad caused that, you know? I don't know. Maybe people are respecting, I mean, I am seeing Burn. But I, I don't know. The, the meta is super weird. I'm not really understanding a lot of these shifts. And it's like, maybe I can't even call it a shift just because, like, you know, maybe I'm not seeing rhinos in leagues, but someone else is. But even for, for challenges in particular, I know the thing we always come back to with the rhinos is like, it seems like it just puts at least a copy in every single top eight of every single event because it's just very consistent. It just does what it does and it gets there. And not at all in either of these, which is. Weird. Yeah, in the Sunday one, there's a copy on. Uh, is is in ninth place, uh, so it's like it's probably like the same. Yeah, it, it's like the the same record as any of the you know like the probably like the seventh and the eighth place, but you know just worse breakers. Um, but I think that what may have to do with this is the fact that we have infinite copies of Chalice Blue White <laughs> Control in amongst both of these top eights. Um, I think that Evan did the math a little bit earlier, and it was like nine copies amongst uh, both top thirty-twos. Uh, which, considering that this deck is pretty new, it's kind of mind-blowing, right? Like this, it kind of this deck showed up, and it feels like it's become just the de facto control deck of the format. And not only that, but it's been doing really, really well. So I imagine that you know. All of the events of the world are like, ooh, control deck is playable, let's go. And they're actually doing well. They're actually doing well. How do you feel yeah. about the uh, the hammer matchup as a blue-white player? I know they, they're playing like all these verdicts, and you have Prismatic, and you have Solitude. You have the tools, 
but I feel like in practice it still doesn't seem like it would be like I I, I don't know if I was the player I don't think I'm like ooh that's free give me hammer all day it's it's not free but it's pretty good um the the deck is definitely respecting it one of the more annoying cards out of the matchup is is the sentinel as for sentinel is like a huge pain in the ass but other than that card the matchup feels like pretty good you you have the tools you definitely have the tools solitude and all those verdicts like you said like these are these are good things to have versus them um and it it keeps you know we keep kind of like shifting up what tool set we had against them when i had like spreading seas that felt pretty good in that matchup as well people are kind of moving away from that right now but um yeah i mean i i I think a lot of what's going on lines up really well and in 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 practice the thing that i keep losing to the most is when my opponent goes turn one esper sentinel turn two esper sentinel and i'm just like all right and if i don't have like the verdict or even when i do have the verdict they're then recouping a lot of what they're losing to that verdict because i can't do it and pay for those you know so yeah, other than that card, matchup feels pretty good. Yeah, them them going up to playing the full playset of Solitude, I think it's a really big deal, uh, particularly in the Hammer in the Hammer matchup. I mean, it's Chalice is good against them too, right? Like we do just want to Chalice. Just Chalice against Hammer is is a big deal. I know they have like uh, Stoneforge that can get around it, or like you know if they've already played a Hammer and they play like um, Pure Steel or something that that works. But Chalice is certainly good against Hammer. Definitely. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Solitude, Chalice, uh, Verdict, that seems like a lot of, of cards that are very, very strong in, in that matchup. And also very, very strong against Rhinos as well, which I think may be one of the big reasons why we're not seeing the, the deck pop up as much. Um, I kind of like did a little bit of a, kind of foresaw this one, but Sunset Reverie is another card that people have been playing, which I still have no idea how I feel about. Um, so for those of you who don't know, this this is this is the, the the mini timely one and a white sorcery. If an opponent has more life than you, you gain four life. If an opponent controls more creatures than you, you create two one one white human creatures. If an opponent has more cards in hand than you, you draw a card. So I've seen some lists playing one of these in the main deck, one of these in the sideboard. Seems fine. I mean, there is a decent amount of burn running around right now. I I'm, I'm certainly seeing burn in leagues challenges. It's it's kind of all over. I don't know what the deal with the burn resurgence is but if you're expecting burn why not have the timely card right yeah and and the the cantrip part of it makes it a little more main deckable too i I know the list you're talking about i saw i saw there was a list playing a main deck that that definitely makes it a little more live in the in the matchups you don't care about your life total or like you know like control mirrors or whatever the fact you can still like pay two mana and cycle it is is nice I don't know if I'd be main decking it, but I I do think it being a turn earlier is pretty meaningful. I'm still not I'm still not sold if it's like if it is the better burn hate card than timely or not. Um, like it it does kind of feel like you want the bigger effect in one card than the smaller effect in a cheaper card. But but I haven't had a chance to like play around with it much, so jury's kind of out. The card really feels uh, quite interesting um, in, in that sense, and it feels like. Once you assume that you're playing four copies of Solitude, right, and that is a way that you're going to be, you know, going behind on cards, and then you're also playing, like, multiple copies of Memory Deluge, which allows you to recoup those cards, it kind of makes it so, you know, not only the Memory Deluge helps you find a Sunset Reverie when you're looking for it, but also if you draw it in a matchup where you didn't want it and you cannot really kind of, like, turn that into a real card, 
at least you can, you know, you have multiple ways that you didn't have access to before to recoup that card advantage. So even though you have a couple of dead cards, who cares? I'm just going to draw four here. Right. You know? You're going to pitch it to Solitude or whatever it might be. I mean, it also kind of bridges the gap between those things, right? Like if you've used Solitude and then it gains you life, whatever buys you some time, and then you get to Memory Deluge to, you know, so it, it helps kind of get there. I specifically as a hate card, it does make some sense of if your opponent goes like, I don't know, turn one goblin guide hit you and you were on the play, you can just play this thing out and you know, there's your life, there's your car your 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 tokens. And that 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 seems pretty decent. You might even get to draw a card there, maybe. I guess if you mulligan maybe, but even if you don't, like it kinda of feels like it's a, an insane deal <laughs> anyway, right? Like you also played around Skullcrack. Exactly. Yeah, maybe maybe this card is legit. Maybe this card is legit. And people are just being like a little bit too shy right now and kind of like stuck in their ways and, you know, maybe trying one copy here and maybe we see more copies down the line. Who who knows? But yeah, blue-white control, man. Blue-white control is back. Uh, just not so much cryptic command anymore. <laughs> cryptic command maybe did not really survive. The We're learning. <laughs> The power creep. Um, also, shout out to Hall of the Storm Giants, man. I lost to this card the other day. Um, it hit hard. It hits hard. It is really, really hard. This is the land from the the. I guess it's another card from the D and D set that may actually be playable. So it's a land that it's if you control two or more other lands, it enters the battlefield tapped. Uh, so it's like one less than than a fast land. So it, like like a little bit faster fast land. <laughs> it taps for blue and you pay five and a blue and you turn it into a seven seven, a blue giant creature with ward three. So this thing turns the corner really quickly. Uh, very very cool um, to see access to, to to that card. Sweet, 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 sweet. So that is what we have going on in terms of the new cards. In terms of metagame shifts, we kind of kind of sprinkled a little bit and discussed it a little bit, um, but there are a couple of newcomers into the metagame. Uh, the very first one is a mono red Eldrassi deck, which has kind of shown up out of nowhere last week. It won a, a challenge last week, and since then it's been I've been facing it in leagues regularly. Uh, I've seen a bunch of people posting, you know, on Twitter, like, got a trophy with this, like, blah, 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 blah. And it actually got second in the Sunday challenge as well. So it's a brand new take on the um, the red-green Eldrassi deck from back in the day, uh, which used to play, like, Blood Raid Elves, it used to play, like, Noble Hierarchs and stuff like that in order to, to get things going quickly. Uh, the difference here is that we're, we're just playing mono-red. So the mana is a lot more consistent, and you're playing uh, four copies of Monkey. That is the way that you that you get to to speed up your your Thought Not Seers. Uh, so uh, four Bone Crushers, four Eldrassi Obligator. Again, this was like the fixture of the red green Eldrassi deck from back in the day. So it makes another apparition for those of you that weren't playing like three or four years ago whenever this happened. Uh, it's a two one a red three one a creature Eldrassi with Devoid. And whenever you cast it, you may pay one and a colorless. Um, if you do, you gain control of target creature until end of turn. You untap that creature and it gains haste. 
And then the creature itself, the 3-1, also has haste. So you can steal your opponent's creature and you can attack them with it. You can play a Thought Knot and if you have like a million mana, you play a Thought Knot, you play this. You uh, you activate and target your own Thought Knot, you haste your Thought Knot, let's go. Um, you can also... Um, you, you also have access to Fury, you have access to Matter Reshaper, and you know the the the, the good old classics uh, for Ready Smasher for Thought Not Seers. Uh, the spell suite is pretty small: one upgrade through this member and four Shatter Skull Smashing, which is uh, the the land, the the mythic land from from Sandicar. Uh, and then four Chalice of the Void, because this is apparently a Chalice deck as well, because we didn't we were not doing enough stuff. <laughs> Uh, the, the funny thing is that it, we're playing three Cavern of Souls, and I guess that we can make we can name Cavern a monkey in order to play monkey through our own chalice, so that's pretty cute. <laughs> yeah, there's... Okay, as the previous, like, I used to play Thalia Stompy a lot, and this deck is not the same, but it's kind of similar. And I feel like there's a lot of things about this that I don't really love. Like, uh, so we got Blood Moon in the sideboard, but we don't have Prismatic Vista in the deck for no apparent reason at all. I feel like that's that card is really good in these decks because you just you most of the time probably gonna get a mountain, but if you need the waste, it gets both. So it's a dual land in the deck, especially if you're gonna try to Blood Moon people. Uh, there's also a weird number of red cards for uh, Fury in this deck. Um, notably, Eldrazi Obligator has Devoid which means it cannot be pitched to Fury. So, k k, -k combo <laughs> means you're only Seems. playing uh, four, let's see, four, five, uh, nine, 13 red cards, which is just about slightly less than you would want to be. Most of the time, you're not going to Fury on turn one anyway, so it's not that bad. But um, yeah, the mana base seems real weird. I think like Cavern, I guess most of the time you're going to name Eldrazi or I guess it, it but it, after Eldrazi it gets hard, right? So you just heard me say, Ooh, uh, wait, because Fury is an elemental incarnation, Ragavan is a monkey pirate, and uh, Bone Crusher is a giant. So kind of kind of tough because you're gonna need double red, but you also want the red from the monkey, and maybe it's your only red source. So it's I don't know, it's kind of all over the place. I, I think Shatter Skull Smashing is a really smart add uh, to this deck. And I actually really do like Monkey in the deck. The fact that Monkey helps ramp you into your other stuff. Um, you might have a hard time removing things sometimes. You've got only Dismember and a Braid, but I guess Fury can help clear the Monkey's path. And then, you know, maybe you ramp into, like, hit you with Monkey, play a Thought Not Sears. It's pretty cool. I do like that. It's kind of like a dork, but, you know, Ragaman's like the best mana dork you've ever seen. Well, You've seen Deathrite Shaman, so not quite, but almost. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. There's some cool things going on, some things that are interesting. I actually, as much as I was ready to to kind of say Obligator's not good, it's actually really interesting in the meta, like specifically against the card Murktide, right? This is a cast trigger, so even if you counter my Obligator, that's my 7-7 seven seven I'm hitting you in the face with. So that's uh, that that's a nice nice little piece there. Um, I'm not really sure what they're doing with the sideboard. There's a boil in this list. Um, I do like the warping whales, uh, specifically against like cascade stuff. That makes sense. You get a little extra piece of hate. I don't know. There's a lot going on in this deck. I feel like 
starting out with cleaning up the mana would be a good place to 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 go from and then kind of like figure out like well what are the pieces that i actually want in this deck like you know does this have to be a chalice deck like do i want to just like play bolts or chalice is good in the metagame so maybe i need it maybe that's the the piece that helps you interact like i know there's a lot to think about here um i would like to see a couple more red cards hopefully for fury but again 13 when you're trying to do this a little later is like it's a little on the low side but maybe just like one two more would be nice you know you're supposed to have 16 if you want to do it on turn one but maybe you don't want to pitch that ragavan you know yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Like all of your red cards are pretty good. Like you don't care. Like you know, you, like monkey doesn't really count as a bitch card for fury. You know, <laughs> because well, the second monkey really counts. But yeah, that's that's fair. But I don't know. Uh, yeah, th- this deck seems weird, man. It feels like it's doing something, but it's not as good as it could be at doing this thing that it's doing. If if that makes sense. Like the other, the previous iterations of decks like this that we that we we have seen were like super focused in what they did, and this one feels like, sure, like we're sort of an aggro deck, but we're also playing Chalice and Blood Moon, so I guess we are sort of a, we're sort of a prison deck, um, but then we also play like relics and warping whales and. Like what are you really trying to you, do? You know what? You sold me that I wanna I wanna pick it up here. I'm gonna try to retool some mana base things. Uh, maybe I feel like this could be a good uh, season pyromancer deck if you could cast the card. Mm. Um, so get those matter of shapers out of my face. And uh, people love matter of shaper, but come come on, man, come on. <laughs> Unreasonably so. But yeah, it just it just blows my mind that you know you're playing four blood moons in the main, in the cyber right. So you 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 re- you're committed. You know what I'm saying? You're committed to playing blood moon, but then you only play three wastes, and no ways to fetch in. I, yeah, the the no the lack of prismatic is mind boggling to me. Like that the mana just gets so much better by doing that. Um, like three wastes is just not where you want to be. Like ever. Like you don't just don't. Don't do that. Play play prismatic. It's easy. They gave you a a, a dual fetch land for Eldrazi mana. Do it, please. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty funny. It's pretty funny. But yeah, I mean this deck's been picking up. This deck's been picking up, and it's been it's been feeling pretty good. I feel like you were saying Eldrazi Obligator feels like it's bad. I feel like it's the only card that I lose. <laughs> like it it really feels like this is straight up the best card in the deck. And I I maybe I I'm honestly I don't think I'm insa- I'm exaggerating. Is it because they're stealing your prime times with it? Because that that tracks. <laughs> Very much so. That's the reason. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I guess you were saying like stealing Merktides and like there's just some big stuff going on. Even like stealing a Rhino against um, against the the Cascade deck. Like that's no joke. Like this deck is trying to race you, right? Like that's what it's doing. And Obligator is one of the best cards ever at doing that thing just at, at just racing you because they're taking a blocker and then adding all of the power that that blocker had to the damage that now they're going to deal to your face so it's really really good and that's stapled onto a 3-1 haste like this thing having haste it's so 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 big it's such a big deal and then you also have you know like reality smasher that also has haste so you have a, a lot of really really good tools to race 
which is one of the reasons why it surprises me that they choose to play Chalice instead of choosing to play Lightning Bolt, because I imagine that happens a lot, right? Like, it's just like you bring your opponent down to, you know, three or two, and then you just ball them out of the game, but they're choosing to play Chalice of the Void instead. And, like, also Bolt Pitches to Fury, if that's something that you're interested in as well. So, it's interesting. It just feels like it is trying to do so many things, and I wonder if just, like, channeling those things and just trying to figure out, okay, I'm going to be, like, the best aggressive version of this deck I, I can be, or I want to be, like, the most prisony version of this deck that I can be, if that you can kind of, like, choose one axis and try to go all in on that axis, and I wonder if what you get is better, or maybe it's worse. Uh, assuming that... I, I think that th there's there's some, some ways to move things around and just to, to tinker with this deck. List. Yeah, I think... Uh... The Chalice may be the card that just helps you in a lot of the meta that maybe you just need it, right? Like, this deck looks pretty cold to a lot of the uh, Cascade decks without Chalice, so probably matters a lot there. Um, hammer could be hard. I feel like it could be, like, unless your Obligator's stealing your hammered-up dude, but at that point you've probably been hit by the hammer. <laughs> um, so, I don't know. The ch Chalice probably just bridges the gap too much for what you need to do in the metagame. Yeah, the other deck that I wanted to touch on real quick is not really that big of a deal, um, but it's been picking up in popularity, and that is a John Sack, and that is Goblin Bombardment, Collected Company, Grist. All around, just um, the three drop guy has been has been racing in popularity pretty pretty widely, and we're seeing it in Black Red Shells, we're seeing it in John Shells as well. You're talking about Mayhem Devil? Mayhem Devil. There you go. I, I, was, I was blanking on the name. That card is pretty nuts. That card is pretty nuts. It triggers off of a bunch of things that you don't really think about. Like, it triggers off of Fetchlands. It triggers off of Mistress Bubble. Like, all of these random cards that, you know, people are just playing in the metagame right now. And it's just like, well, crack my bubble. Well, like, ping your monkey. <laughs> you know? It's, it's really, really funny how, how the deck just just takes advantage of an axis that people are just not really used to playing around. Modern players are not historic players, and this is, that's yeah. that card's format. That was, you know, Mayhem Devil was the king of historic for a, a while. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, but uh, the deck has felt strong. Like, it definitely feels like Goblin Bombardment uh, was a card that I was super excited when it was spoiled, and I, I actually tried the building around the card uh, without too much success. Uh, but it really feels like it really feels like what what, what uh, Spike has has put together. Uh, this deck list actually has the pieces. It has the pieces. Just not messing around and just playing good cards. That 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 was his argument. Like uh, what he would say is that um, people are just playing bad cards around Golden Bombardment. You know, you're just playing like all of these clunky Stitcher suppliers, and maybe you're playing this other dude that like drains you for one when when a zombie dies or something like. No, 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 no. None of that nonsense. Just play Monkey. Just play Season Pyromancer. Just play Grist. Just all good cards. Not messing around. And all of a sudden, boom! Now you just end up with a deck that is actually legit. Like it's it's a shell that. Uh, you have a bunch of these synergies, but you're not taking them to the extreme uh, where you're playing bad cards in order to make them happen. 
So you're just playing, you know, like your good cards that synergize with with the Goblin Bombardment, and then the bad cards you're just leaving them at home, and you're just playing good cards instead. Brand new approach to to, to the format, and it's pretty cool. I, Spike has been doing really well. That's what he was choosing to do most of the grinding. He was trying to to win the trophy race. And the deck looked like tons of fun. Extremely hard to play. Super, super challenging to play. All right. So, to wrap things up a little bit here, um, what we're going to be talking about uh, real quick is this coming weekend are the showcase challenges, right? Like we, this is the form, uh, this is our two tournaments that happen every single month. And they happen in. I don't know if every format. No, there, there's like a, there's modern, there's legacy, and I think they cut the vintage one now or something like that. Anyway, whatever. Good, important modern tournament coming up this weekend. So, I've been doing some testing, and I think I know what I'm gonna be playing, and it's gonna be to nobody's surprise. If you've been listening to the last couple of episodes, I am still not high on Amulet. I think that the deck is pretty bad. It's still very poorly positioned in the meta game, and I don't think that that's really gonna change because the cards that are, uh, don't allow the deck to thrive are Prismatic Ending and a Holy Heat, which are just busted cards. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't think anybody is gonna stop playing those cards anytime soon. So because of that, I had to try to broaden my horizons and start looking uh, towards greener pastures. And it, t- it turns out that uh, the elementals do have some 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 green pastures over there. So that's what I've been that's what I've been digging. I played a prelim yesterday. I went I went for a no, which felt pretty pretty nice. And uh, the version that I've been I've been liking a lot is the I guess that we can call it the canister version. So it's the version of the deck that's playing the fairies and it's playing uh, prismatic ending, maybe like a lightning bolt or two here and there. And so you're actually playing interaction. So your opponent can just straight up lock you out with like a torpor or something like that. Um, the other versions are like the more creature-centric versions that are playing uh, the the Awakener, which is the two-drop, one-two haste that brings back creatures. Maybe they're playing like a Skelemental or two. That one is a little bit uh, better at grinding, but if your opponent plays, uh, if your opponent plays the Torpor Orb, you might as well just pack it up because you're not winning that one. I've been really, really happy with the, the Elementals decklist that I've been that I've been uh, working on. Very, very impressed by Endurance. The latest deck that um, that Kinesir has been uh, has been messing around with is playing more Mold Drifters, which I've been very very impressed by. Feels kind of ridiculous to be impressed by Mold Drifter <laughs> in the year 2021, but here we are. Uh, turns out that the card is amazing. It kind of it kind of is, is it's a way to have something going and have a sort of an engine going when you don't have a recent reef. So. Uh, you can do the elementals thing, which is just drawing a million cards without necessarily having access to to a recent reef. Of course, it is it's insane with ephemerate. It is very very good uh, with omnath because you know the omnath plus fetchland gives you five mana, which which casts the the two two guy. So. I've been very impressed by that card. I think that the deck list is very, very strong. Uh, considering the latest uh, ways that the meta has shifted, I am very, very interested in playing just a bunch of Graveyard Hate. And and this is something that I would recommend for kind of anybody. Like if you're planning on playing any event, 
at all. <laughs> uh, you should be ready to pack some graveyard hates. Uh, I've already seen uh, people main decking relics, I've already seen people main decking soul guide lanterns, and even like endurance has been a mainstay of, of the format for, for a while now, and I think the card is absolutely amazing. So I do think that whatever it is that you're going to be doing, make sure that you have some sort of um, access to grave, graveyard hate in, in some shape or form. Rest in peace is nuts. Maybe if you're playing some blue-white control, you should be playing some rest in pieces. I don't know. Evan can help you there. Play rip. <laughs> play like play like three of them. <laughs> yep. Uh, so, yeah. So I'm going to be playing some elementals, and I, I'm probably not going to be streaming like the last couple of showcases that haven't, I haven't streamed them, you know, to prevent ghosting and all that stuff. So what I've been doing is I've been just recording myself and then uploading all of the bots to, to YouTube. So anybody that wants to, to see my, my matches, they can just uh, watch them over there. Um, and it's been like a lot more relaxing and more chill way to do things. And just the ghosting thing is way too annoying to deal with. But anyway, what are you guys pl uh, planning on playing? Well, I'll go because you just went on a giant tangent about graveyard hate. And I was just like wishing for you to shut the hell up about it the whole time. <laughs> because I would love to play Reanimator again. Like, like don't listen to Fran. Play, play zero graveyard hate. Don't come prepared. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I, uh, I'm pretty high on the deck. It's hard not to be after just, you know, going and getting that uh, challenge top eight right away. I'm hoping to iron out the sideboard a little bit more um, as things sort of take shape. But honestly, even with. Fran's suggestion of play all the graveyard eight and people will. I still think this deck is is really good, and uh, it's hard for me to not want to put Archons into play because that card's sweet. It's so cool. You just you kill their thing. You draw a card. You gain life. They discard a card. They lose life. It it does it all. It's like Croxa and Uro and an Edict. I, who can <laughs> say no to that? <laughs> I don't know if I'll actually be playing in this one. I think if I do, though, it'll probably be it'll probably be one of the two blue-red decks, whether that's, like, Murktide, Blue Moon, or just, like, normal blue-red Murktide still. Happy with both, and, and I, I think either would be a, a reasonable choice. I don't, I don't think playing, you know, the normal blue-red monkey Murktide is, is going to be a bad choice in almost any turn. I think that deck's just super solid always. But I've been really partial to this other one, uh, this other Blue Moon build, so I'd probably end up playing that. All right, sweet. So let's uh, let's wrap it up. Where can we find you guys on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitch under Everos, twitch.tv slash Everos. Uh, same thing on YouTube. Don't, don't try to look for me on Twitter. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, you can find me on Twitter at SpiderspaceMTG. I got that... Just every week I'm going to do that. Every time Evan says you can't find me on Twitter, that's what I have to lead with. Uh, <laughs> you can find me on Twitch at uh, Spiderspace. Everos is Everos TTV, by the way. <laughs> just just throwing it out there. Just throwing it out there. And you can find me streaming on Twitch, but not the showcase, at uh, twitch.tv slash F-P-A-W-L-U-S-Z. That is F-Pablush. And you can find me on YouTube, Patreon, and Twitter at FPublishMTG. This has been Mishra's Bubble. We will be back with you in a couple of weeks. So have a great, great time. And keep on modernizing.